Amen. Thank you. Nancy, thank you, love. Appreciate that so very much. Hebrews chapter 10, if you grab your Bibles, turn with me there. Hebrews chapter number 10. If you need a copy of the Scriptures, there should be one there in front of you. I'd love for you to follow along as we continue uh, in our series uh, based upon the theme you see on the, uh, the banners here in the auditorium, there in the foyer, so much the more. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to turn our attention there. We'll give us ourselves a little context here uh, from what we've already seen. And uh, very quickly, for those who have just joined us, maybe, but uh, just kind of kind of remind ourselves, repetition certainly aids in learning, so we want to do that. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25. Let's delve into it right away. Get going here. Verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Okay. So we saw from this, we gathered just a simple statement. We are to be moved, resolved. We said, just sing that song and about being resolved. I'm resolved and committed so much the more to not neglect the assembly, the gathering together of God's children here on earth. Okay, so, and this is where we kind of tie it all together in a sense because if that is our commitment, if we're committed to assembling so much the more, then we also ought to be committed to what we ought to do when we assemble. What the Bible says that ought to be happening when you and I gather together, when we assemble, not only so much the more to assembling, not neglecting it, not forsaking it, but also to what's to transpire when we assemble. And that's where we start to look at. Verse number 22. Look at it with me. Verse number 22. Let us draw near with a true heart, full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Verse 22 says, let us draw near. So why is it that we ought to not forsake? the assembly of ourselves together. What is it we ought to do while we're here? Obviously drawing near. What does that mean? Well, we assemble to experience and enjoy the presence of our Savior. I, I quoted the verse and referenced it so often that God inhabits our praise. Can I tell you when, uh, for me personally, man, when we are singing and I can tell, you can tell, when we're singing with all of our hearts, man, you can just feel the presence of the Lord. That he inhabits that praise. And boy, man, it just, it, it gets you going. And man, it's exciting because, man, I, I want to meet God today. Did you come to meet God today? That's what we ought to, that ought to be our heart's attitude and our spirit. Man, I came to Fostoria Baptist Church on January 24th, 2021 to meet God. To draw near unto him. Every Sunday, every service, you and I walk in those doors. That ought to be our mindset, our heart, our heart attitude, if we can put it that way. That we've come to worship God. We've come to draw near. We've come to go behind that veil, as Paul describes in the preceding verses. And we're going to enjoy and experience the presence of God. So Paul's warning us not to forsake this wonderful grand privilege and opportunity, this duty to do just that. You see, we saw last week that we don't want to forsake the assembling of ourselves together so much the more because in that assembly, we get to experience and enjoy the presence of our Savior like nowhere else on earth. There's nothing else like it. And I hope and I pray you get a taste for that reality. Yet, verse 22 goes on to prove or to share a very vital point, and that's that we ought not to come empty. Remember the verse says this, let us draw near with. And we saw last week, we won't have time to go into each of these, but last week we saw with a sincere heart, an assured heart, a heart whose conscience is free of conviction, and in companionship to that heart, a cleansing, consecrated body. So as I come to draw near to God and to sense and experience and enjoy the presence of God, there are some prerequisites. There are some things that I ought to come in my hands ready to go when I come in here to worship God and to gather together as a believer. 
And boy, some of us could testify this morning that when we've come to a service and we didn't have all of this in order, you know what? It, it wasn't like it should be. It, it wasn't like uh, it ought to have been. It, it, I, didn't get, I, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't experience it like I should have. The reason that I came. So crucial and important. Last week we just finished up, and then we'll get into the, the material for today. Last week we finished up with these takeaways. Let us draw near. Why? To experience enjoying the presence of God through worship together. And we said, let us draw near. How? With a sincere heart, an assured heart, a heart whose conscience is free of conviction, a cleansed and consecrated body. And then we added a few more adverbial questions, right? Let us draw near. To what extent? So much the more. When? As you see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching. Now we turn ourselves, as Paul has listed some other things, that says, okay, the assembly uh, of this biblical or the design and uh, what ought to go into this biblical assembly that we are not to forsake, he says there's something else. Look at verse 23. Let's read it together, shall we? Verse number 23 of the same chapter. Okay, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that is promised. Now, as we look at that verse, the last statement is what we would call a parenthetical phrase, right? It's in parentheses, and that really helps us to understand what Paul is saying in the beginning of the verse. It really explains it. It really shows, sheds some light on what point Paul is making when he says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith. What is that parenthetical statement, phrase, saying or referring to? What is it highlighting? It's highlighting the faithfulness of God. That our God who has promised us all things in the fruition of our salvation, that victory we sang of a moment ago where it was played during the offertory too. You know, the victory that we have in salvation is what God has promised us among many other things. And he is faithful. That's what Paul writes here. He is faithful that promise. The one who's promised us that one day our faith shall be sighted. And oh, what a day that will be, amen. When we get to reap all that he has promised. And I want to stress, as Paul writes this word faith, don't miss it. It is a very forward-looking word. When he says, let us hold fast that faith, the profession of our faith, it is forward-looking. It alludes to our eyes fixated upon the source of our foundation or our salvation. That's our faithful God. But it's also a looking ahead to the culmination of our faith. It's interesting because the Greek word, the word is elpis here, or elpis, uh, it's only translated here as faith. It occurs some 52 other times in our Bible, and in those instances, it's translated as hope. So it's our, our faith and our hope which are intrinsically connected. Boys, we have faith in God. Aren't you thankful today because of your faith you have hope in God? And that's what Paul's alluding to. Don't let go of that, man. You have faith in God? Well, don't let go of the hope that goes hand in hand with your faith. And as Paul writes it, it really is an expectancy. We might describe it as a, a looking ahead with anticipation and expectation. In fact, the King James Bible that many of us hold here in our hands, the translators and, and some of their um, version, and some of the additions, excuse me, and some of the additions they'll have in the middle column. In fact, mine here does. They have in the middle column, it says profession of faith here. In the middle column, it says confession of hope. <laughs> so they understood that. They realized that. They saw, okay, we can see that this is a faith and hope intersecting and that they come together in this. A confession of hope. 
I like that. You say, what's the point of the verse? Well, obviously, God wants us to hold tightly to our faith and hope in him. Hold tightly. And there's two ways that that Paul says that we will be immensely affected and helped if we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together in holding fast our faith. So don't don't miss this, okay? As we gather together as a church and as believers, as we come to worship together, as we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, Paul says, all right, there's going to be two ways that you and I are going to be benefited, that we're going to be affected. Number one, it strengthens our hold on our faith. So as we're gathering today, as we're studying God's Word, as we sing together about the goodness of God, boy, doesn't that strengthen your faith? I mean, we come on Wednesday nights, and boy, those of us who, boy, you go throughout the week, and man, it strengthens your faith to come on a Wednesday night and meet with fellow believers, to meet with God. It strengthens our dependence upon God. Can I tell you, we are here certainly this morning because we want to meet with God. Why do we want to meet with God? Because I'll tell you right now, I need God. I depend upon him. We ought to depend upon him and ought to strengthen our dependence upon our God. It ought to strengthen our daily trust in him. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. And it is that faith that we walk by, that we live by, that is strengthened and encouraged when we assemble. Man, I love Sundays. I love every time we gather, whether it be Wednesday too. Man, our faith and our hope is renewed. It's filled up. It's shored up. It's built up. It's fortified. It's strengthened. And I'm thankful for that. Grateful for it. Paul says the second thing. Notice it. It prevents us from wavering in our faith. Oh, how crucial is this? How important, how, how vital it is that we don't waver. The Greek word translated as, as waver means this, literally, do not bend. Do not bend. Uh, do not get uh, pushed and pressured into it. Now listen to me carefully. Think of the audience to whom Paul was first writing. Certainly it's for all of us. The Holy Spirit has intended that. That's why it's preserved for us. But as Paul wrote it, he entitled it, Hebrews. So it is written to Jews, specifically Jewish believers who come to trust in Jesus Christ. As such, would you just think for a moment with me, these believing Jews, and the immense pressure they would have had in their lives? The pressure to bend, the pressure to waver, the the pressure to let go of their faith in in one way or another, or at least a, a degree, they would have faced great pressure. You say, What kind of pressure? Well, they were under constant danger of going back in their faith due to the pressures brought upon them. Now, listen to me very carefully. Brought upon them by the religion that was behind them. The Judaism they had given up. By the pressures that were brought by the society around them. And also the pressures by the government that was above them. So as Paul writes this, he knows, man, I'm writing to a group of believers that are facing great pressure to waver in their faith, uh, to let go, to not hold fast their faith in God and all that he says and all that's in his word. And I can't help but think, wow, isn't this appropriate for today? Isn't this apropos for you and I? See, as modern believers, my friend, you and I, with every passing day, we, the world around us 
is putting more and more pressure on us to turn our backs on our faith. At the least, they want to minimize how much our faith influences our thinking and our doing. Now, my friend, that statement is very, very true. The God of this world is actively using anything he can to get you and I to let hold or let go of our faith. To not hold fast. And it's coming on every direction. It's coming from every source, and we'll certainly highlight that. I read just a a few days ago, several days ago, I read that our current president has promised that within 100 days, he will push through a broad quote-unquote, equality act that had been suppressed the last few years. It will add sexual orientation and gender identity to most existing federal non-discrimination laws. Then, I heard just this past Thursday, he's already written part of it into law within an executive order. You say, what does that, what does that do? Well, it adds to those non-discrimination laws, uh, and because adding it to that applies. It means it'll apply not only to employment laws, but it will apply to athletics, housing, public and private schools, businesses, and much more. Now, further, it's promised that it will not include religious exemptions. Meaning it will directly affect churches and ministries in living out our biblical beliefs about marriage, sexual morality, and the distinction between the two, and there's only two, genders. As the days progress, listen to me carefully, we will likely come under pressure like we have never experienced before when it comes to what? Wavering in our faith. Bending to the will of others, of society, of America's culture, which is ultimately bending to whose will? The God of this world. Satan. We are going to face, we are already facing intense pressure to bend. And you say, where is this pressure coming from? What's the same place it came for the Hebrews? As Paul experienced and understood, wait, these believers are going through it from these different areas. Same for you and I. For you and I, it's going to come from the government, as we've already mentioned. Soon you and I will face laws that contradict our faith. We will be compelled to either acquiesce to their demands or live and live out our faith only in our homes or face being an outlaw by living out our faith wherever we are. It's coming, friend. It's happening. Will you waver? Will you bend? We're going to face it from society and the pressure from society as a whole. We'll be told we need to be reprogrammed. We'll be told that we aren't right in our minds, that we are not inclusive, that we aren't progressive and forward-thinking enough, that we must conform to what the, the one voice of culture in society says is right and the true way to think and live. It's coming. It's coming. You add to this pressure that this pressure will even come from within religion, Christianity. We have already seen mainstream denominations fall and give in to pressure from without. And now they will and have exerted pressure upon us to do the same thing, uh, to embrace what we know isn't right. Many denominations are facing greater division and strife than they ever have before within their own walls. Why? Because there's people within that are exerting pressure to cave. To bend, to let go of the faith, to not hold it fast. 
See, my friend, it is right and it is good that Paul has written to us to hold fast the profession of our faith. Not just our faith in Christ as our Savior, though that is foundational and that is number one, but all the tenets of our faith. What we believe God has put in his word. Our faith will become even more increasingly under attack at home, at work, and in the public square. My question to you this morning, listen to me, will you falter? Will you waver? As pressure is exerted and as time goes along, will you, will you wilt and waver under that pressure? Some have said, well, Pastor Henry, wouldn't it just be smart? Wouldn't it just be good if we bend but don't break? What if we, just like maybe some other denominations and some Christians that, that you might be familiar with, what if we choose just to you know, give up a little but not much and, and just you know, not, not fight for it all, not, not stand for the faith, not to, not to waver? May I just tell you, if you do that in reality, you will have to let go of the profession of your faith. I like football. There's things about football I don't like. One of the things I hate about football is when a team goes into a prevent defense. You say, Pastor Henry, what's a prevent defense? Well, it's a bend, don't break kind of defense. See, a team will think, hey, we're up enough points, and there's not enough time left in the game. If we'll just give them a little yardage, we'll make them go slowly down the field, and we may even give up points, but if if we just bend and don't break, then they won't have enough time to score the points that they need. In theory, it may sound good, but too many of us who are football fans, we watch our own team put in the prevent defense, and guess what? They end up losing because the other team just marches down the field, they get points, maybe they recover an onside kick or whatever the case may be, and all of a sudden, guess what? Prevent defense did nothing. In fact, you ended up losing the game. May I just tell you right now, if you have the attitude about your faith, well, I will bend, but I'm not going to break, eventually you'll give up your faith. Eventually you'll let go of the things that God says, let us hold fast, let us hold dear. You'll let go. And it may be slower than if you gave it all up at once, but my friend, you'll give it up. Eventually, you'll find yourself with nowhere else to bend. You've given up that belief. You've given up that belief. You've given up that belief. And all of a sudden, all of our beliefs are gone. Well, I'm still a Christian. Are you? Because my question would be this. Do you actually believe anything that God believes? Do you? You see, if we employ that mindset as Christians and as churches, they bend but don't break, we're going to end up losing. We'll end up in the same place. We'll give up all that we believe in. It just might take a little bit longer. God doesn't want that for you as an individual. He doesn't want it for us corporately as a church. Think of it this way, okay? All right, let's say that this is my faith. Okay, let's say as a believer and as a Christian, I'll say, okay, I believe what the Bible says, and I believe everything the Bible says. And then, and then comes along society and government and, and the pressure, maybe even some other religions, so-called, maybe even Christianity, they say, aha, listen, listen, and, and, uh, you need to accept same-sex marriage. You need to accept same-gender marriage. And so we start to hear, hear it all. We start to feel the pressure, and the reality is, and it gets to us, and we say, okay, you know what? As long as it's not bothering me, they can do whatever they want. I'm, I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. I, I'm not going to point out that the Bible says it is an abomination. I'm just going to sit back, and whatever they choose for them is good for them. I, it's not about me. It's not about them. May I tell you right now, on your faith, you've just loosened a finger. Then it comes along. 
people all around say, hey, listen, hey, God, no, no, wait a second. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we need to legalize drugs. We need to legalize prostitution. Listen, everybody's doing it anyway, so we might as well legalize it. Hey, it's running homes. It's running lives. But that's, not, hey, that's a p- person's choice. We ought to let them just choose. And you all of a sudden say, well, I guess if everybody's doing it, we might as well just legalize everything. And <laughs> I guess whatever they do to them, if they hurt themselves, that's their business. May I just tell you, friend, on your faith, you've loosened your grip. You've let go. Then comes along, and you feel the pressure, and you're listening to everything out there, and they're saying, hey, hey listen, hey, how dare you tell somebody what to do with their body? How dare you say abortion's murder? Listen, it's somebody's choice. It's their choice, not yours. You don't tell them what to do with their body. How dare you think that you can do that? May I tell you, when you, the moment you and I start believing, well, I guess that's their choice. I, I ought not to infringe on them. I ought not to tell them that abortion's murder. I better not say that anymore. You've just loosened your grip on your faith. You've loosened it. And then they come along and they say, hey, friend, listen to me. Hey, hey, listen, if that person over there says they've got the original plumbing to be a girl, but they claim to be a guy, you need to treat them like a guy. You need to let them in the girl's restroom. You need to let them in the girl's locker room. Hey, they need to compete with the girls in athletics. And you're like, well, I guess whatever gender they want to identify as, whatever they feel that they are, I guess they should be that. You've dropped your faith. You know, Pastor Henry, you're just picking some political stuff. No, I'm not picking political stuff. I'm picking moral, moral stuff, biblical stuff. What God has said, let God be right and every man a liar. Whether he sits in the over office, he sits in Congress, or he sits in a lazy chair. Let every man be a liar and let God be right. Will you waver? Will you waver? Man, now you'll let it all go, friend. You start accepting what the world says. You give in to the pressure what they want us. May I just tell you, if we are no longer holding fast our faith, the reality is we really have no faith at all. The just shall live by what? Beliefless faith. You don't hold. What do you stand for if you say you have faith? My friend, if you have faith in God, you stand for what God stands for. You stick to it, you believe it, you hold to it, don't loosen your grip. You see, God doesn't want it, and one of the best ways to prevent us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, one of the best ways to not let let go of our faith is to not forsake it. Look at verse 25 again. Look at what's found right in the middle of that verse. Notice it. He says this, but exhorting one another. (laughs) What's the word exhort mean? Build up. Strengthen to encourage. Ah, So what? So we don't waver. Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. So we exhort one another. So what? We don't waver. I don't want to bend. I don't want to get into it. Uh, I want to make sure that uh, I go where I need to go to encourage my faith. To be built up. To be strengthened. So I don't waver. My friend, can I tell you how important church is? Can I tell you how important it's going to be in the days ahead? The years ahead, as we get closer to Christ's return and the world around us falls apart and they turn their back more on God and as one of the authors we'll see in a moment says, there'll be more Antichrist, the spirit of Antichrist. All these things will be all around us. My, how much do we need church? So much the more. So much the more. So 
what God's telling you and I. You see, coming and assembling together is so crucial in building us up so we don't bend to the pressure to forsake our faith and to hide our faith. We who are true must remain faithful until the end. And church helps us do that. And you say, Pastor Henry, will that really happen? (laughs) Well, it's going to cause that kind of problem where people will waver and bend? Well, let's see a biblical illustration of this pressure exhorted on people and people wavering. Turn with me to John chapter 12. Keep your spot here because we'll come right back to to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll see some other verses in this passage. But turn to John chapter 12, if you will, with me. John chapter 12. Let's look at verses 42 and 43. John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43. Notice what it says. Create an amazing statement, first of all, here in verse 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. That's Jesus Christ. These are the chief rulers among the Jews. Now, this is fantastic. This has all the makings of a possible revival. Notice it, though. Notice what happens next. Many believed on him, but... Uh oh, because of the Pharisees, they did not, what's the next word? Confess him. They did not confess him. Uh huh. But hold fast the profession of your faith, as the King James translators put in the middle column, the confession of your hope. They did not confess him, here's the pressure, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. You say, what's that? I'll tell you right now what that is. That's religious pressure, isn't it? You ever have somebody come up to you and say, well, if you believe that, you're not really a Christian. Because you don't love like a Christian should. Yeah, you don't. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't that funny? That's called religious pressure right there, isn't it? That's exactly what happens here. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to believe in him. You're not going to say you believe in him because you know what's going to happen. You're going to get kicked out of the synagogue excommunicated essentially for a Jew. You're gone. You'll be an abomination in their minds. And their, so what happens? They don't hold fast. What do they do? They waver when the threat of being kicked out of the synagogue comes up. You realize what this could have been? Wouldn't it have been neat to read in the next few verses? Many of them believed, and revival broke out among the chief rulers. Wouldn't that been wonderful? But we don't read that, do we? says what? They wouldn't confess him. They wouldn't say, hey, we trust in him. We believe in him. Hey, Jesus Christ is the answer that all of you chief rulers need. You Pharisees, you Sadducees, and everybody else, you need Christ. And say that. They wavered. They bent. The pressure was too much. Didn't happen. They didn't hold fast their faith. And you and I are left to imagine what could have been if they had only professed the faith. I want you also to see this morning what Paul is speaking of in Hebrews chapter 10 is this reality too, that in coming to this assembly, and don't miss this, I think this is tremendous, and this ought to be a great encouragement to you this morning. When you and I come to this assembly, you and I are speaking something loud and clear. You know what we're telling everybody? I still believe. My hope is Jesus. My faith is in Christ and in God. You see, attending the worship service, is one way that you and I still say that we have faith in God of heaven, the one and true God. Remember how Paul states it in this verse? He says, hold fast the profession of your faith. The Greek word is 
The same Greek word is, is translated as confession. That's why the King James translators put in the middle column. Uh, other places in the Bible, it's translated as such. And it, it means what Paul is saying here in coming to church, just in continuing to assemble. In other words, not falling away, not drawing back because there's more pressure. No, no, no. Continuing to assemble, we are professing and confessing that I am a believer. This isn't just for you and I today. This is even in the early days. Do you realize that in the early days, they too saw people who would sometimes come and attend services, maybe uh, pop their head in church, and maybe even profess to be Christians, but then they fall, fell away and stopped attending. The pressures out there got too much. The pressures maybe from other people got too much. And the pressures of society and of government got too much. And they stopped attending. In fact, Paul wrote about it in this same chapter. Look down with me at verse 37. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. He says this. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. You know what I say to that? Hallelujah. Even so come Lord Jesus. Don't tarry any longer. Come get us. Verse 38. Notice what he says. 38, 39. Uh, He goes this. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back into perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. I don't want to draw back. I don't want to be that who falls away to forget. No, 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 no. I want to stay true to God. And by coming to church, you know what we're saying? I still believe. I believe into the saving of my soul. I still believe in the one who saved my soul. There were those even in that day who came to church. They showed a little interest. They maybe even got involved. Maybe they faithfully attended for a while. But then they drew back because they did not believe into the saving of their soul pressure's got too much kind of like the seed that was in christ's parable that was scattered on the 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 soil that didn't take it in and or the soil that took it in just a little bit but then the fruit was gone it was just wasn't it wasn't real wasn't valid it didn't stick such are some of these they drew back yet paul wasn't alone in this Notice what Paul, John wrote in 1 John chapter 2 and verses 18 and 19. He says this, little children, it is the last time. And I always kind of chuckle when I read this because, boy, if John says the last time then, what does it know? Eleventh and a half hour? <laughs> it's the last time. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists. People against Christ. Not the Antichrist, but people who act just like him and who want to dethrone Christ. Deny his existence. Take his place, however you want to describe it. Whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Man, what a statement by John. You realize that based on these passages and several others, in fact, we can say in the beginning years of the New Testament church that when someone stopped attending the worship service, stopped assembling together, gathering together, obviously for reasons other than health or moving from city to city, they assumed those folks had not been saved. They were not of us. They did not believe in the, the saving of their soul. Strong statement. It wasn't just John and Paul, but, but Peter said it too. But, 
Before I share with you what Peter wrote, I want to share with you a little story that uh, the uh, deceased, Pastor Adrian Rogers, shared. He, he called it an Adrian parable because he wanted to make sure people knew that it didn't come from the Scriptures. It came from his head. Uh, he said this, and he called it the story of the prodigal pig. It goes like this. When the prodigal sons got down in the pig pen, he said, I'm going to rise, and I'm going to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and no worthy to be called your son. And the pig next to him said, what? The young man said, I, I'm going to my father. The pig said, why are you going to your father? Oh, you ought to see my father's house. My father's house is wonderful. In my father's house, there's bread enough and to spare. Even the servants in my father's house are eating better than I am down here in this pig pen. My mother's a wonderful cook, a wonderful housekeeper. And my father's a rich, wise, godly man. And I'm going home. I'm getting out of the hog pen. The prodigal pig said, well, that sounds wonderful. Can I go with you? The boy said, well, come along and I'll be glad to have you. So they go and upon arriving home, the prodigal son says, mom, dad, this is my friend, the pig. He wants to come and stay with us if he can. Mother of the prodigal son says, that's your pig? That's your friend? Well, okay, you two come on in. But Mr. Pig, you're going to have to take a bath. You're going to have to scrub. You're going to have to and then because then, you're not coming to my living room that way. So the pig with scrub from top to bottom. It's time for dinner. Pig wants to put a snout right there in the plate. She said, now, Mr. Pig, first of all, we're going to say the blessing, and then we're going to eat with a knife and a fork, and we're going to use good manners, and we're going to wipe our mouth. Then the pig wants to go out and sleep in the mud. She says, no, Mr. Pig, you're going to sleep in the house. You're going to sleep in a bed. You're going to sleep in a king bed with clean sheets and with a feather pillow. After a while, the pig says, you know, I just don't like this. This, I'm not made for it. I'm not made for this. What I'm going to do, I'm going to rise and go to my father. And back he goes to the pig pen. Now, let me tell you, sadly, unfortunately, there are a lot of people like that. They'll come to church for a while. They'll stay in church for a while. They may even get cleaned up and scrubbed up a little bit on the outside. But then they say, you know what? I don't like this. I'm not made for this. You say, why is that? Well, the Bible puts it this way. In fact, this is what Peter wrote about. He said in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22, But it has happened unto them, is it the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again. Notice it. And the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire, the mud. Might I just put it this way? You say, Pastor Henry, did they lose their salvation? No way. They never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It revealed a faith that wasn't real. And boy, they soon find out, no, this isn't for me. You know what? It's the same thing just like washing up a pig. Don't miss it. You'll never change a pig by washing it up. It'll still be a pig. My friend, I want to tell you, there must always be a heart change based upon faith. You say, how does that happen? Well, the Bible says this. You know it. For by grace are you saved through faith. Hmm. So faith is... 
essential. We, we quote many other verses. Uh, believing in him. Whosoever shall believe on him. It's all about faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross of Calvary. But it must start with faith. You can come in, you can get cleaned up, and you can clean up the outside. But my friend, if you don't have faith in God, guess what? The first pressure that comes along, the first challenge and trial to your faith, you're going to fold. You're going to waver. You're going to bend. So it starts by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. Because my friend, when you and I try to change us without Jesus Christ, guess what? It ain't going to last. We need Christ. It starts with faith, and then what does the Bible say? <laughs> Once you are a believer, you've been justified through Christ's work. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Hmm. And so as we continue and we grow in that faith, we hold fast to that faith. Man, it helps you and I to walk daily in a way that's pleasing unto God. But my friend, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, boy, pressures and everything else are going to cause you to collapse. But boy, if you have faith, friend, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and he is your personal savior and now today you're walking by faith, may I just encourage you what Paul says in this passage? Those of faith will gather in the house of faith when the family of faith is assembled. That's his point. That's his challenge. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It's so much the more that we're gonna exhort one another. We are going to, uh, we're gonna make sure that we hold fast our faith. Now listen, don't miss it, okay? When you and I gather together, we assemble together, you are a great testimony to the world. You are a great sermon shouting. What do we say? I still believe. I am a believer. I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. Don't miss it this morning. We're done. The fact is this. This morning, when you pulled out of your driveway, your neighbor maybe saw you pull out, maybe from his nice warm house, at least looking out his window and said, what in the world? Why are they getting out on a cold morning like this? And they pulled out, and said, oh, that's right, they're going to church. Can I tell you right now, listen to me very carefully, somebody heard your sermon. Somebody heard your sermon. And your sermon is this, I still believe. I'm holding fast my faith, so much the more. Hey, uh, this week when somebody said, hey, let's go do this on Sunday. And you said, hey, friend, I, I wish I could maybe some other time, but I'm not going to do that on Sunday because on Sunday I'm going to go meet my Lord. Can I tell you, somebody heard your sermon. I still believe. I am holding fast my faith, the profession of my faith. This week and the days ahead, somebody may look at you where you work and they may say this, what would you do on Sunday? Now, Christian, don't you ever shy away from that question. You tell them, I went and met my Lord. I went to church. And I tell you, right there in that moment, somebody's going to hear your sermon. I believe. I have faith in God. I'm not letting go. Because the time is coming when there's not going to be anything else left in this world, but I'll still have my faith in God. And that's all I need. My friend, why do we come to church? Oh, there are a myriad of reasons, but we gather today. We gather today. We gather every service. We gather when the church gathers. You know why? Because we want to affirm, I believe. I believe. Number two, we gather because both we and God, we want our faith to be strengthened today. 
Man, I want my faith to be strengthened. I, I want to be built up. I want to be exhorted. I, I mean, I, I want to be strengthened and fortified. And then number three, we gather today to show. We gather today to show and to ensure in the days ahead that we will not waver. We will not let go of our faith. And my friends, we come here to get that boost in the arm from our God and from fellow believers. And may I tell you this, and in 2021, every year that comes after it, if Christ does indeed tarry, may we do it so much the more. May we do it so much the more. You say, what do we make of it? Here's what we make of it. Here we are. We're gathering because we believe. And my friend, I'll tell you this. We'll be here till Christ returns. Because we gather because we believe. Our hope is Christ. We gather because every day I need to be strengthened. We gather because no matter what 2021 holds, we don't want to waver. We want to hold fast the faith, the profession of our faith, and then may God do great things through us. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would continue to encourage us and challenge us and this message and the truths of it. Father, we are grateful for our church. We are grateful for the assembly of these believers. And Lord, as we see the day approaching where Christ returns, as we see things uh, digressing and falling apart in preparation of that, Father, we want to hold fast our profession. Help us this morning to have been encouraged and challenged not to let up in our faith, not to let things go. But Father, may we hold fast. Father, thank you for the things that you have given us to strengthen us in our faith, to help us not to waver. May we take full advantage of it in 2021. May we hold fast our faith, and may we take full advantage of the assembling of ourselves together. And Lord, all that that entails, may we draw near unto you. May we hold fast. And then, fathers, we'll see in the weeks ahead, may we be of great benefit one to another. Lord, I pray as you have met with us this morning that you would continue to speak to our hearts in this invitation. May there be a grand resolve and commitment in our hearts and lives to hold fast our faith. Lord, if there's one that walked in here this morning and they're under great pressure and, Father, they have even been tempted to let go of their faith in one way or the other, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their hold on their faith. I pray, Father, today they would see that you are here to strengthen them and help them. And, Lord, may we not let go. May we not let go. May those around us hear the sermon that we still believe, that there is a God worth trusting, believing in. My Father, I pray that you would be in in our midst, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts, bring revival as it is needed and necessary. And, Lord, may you alone get the glory and the honor. My Father, so much the more this year. So much the more. Do a work in our men.